podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Laura Blake-Jones, the Dean of Students at the University of Michigan. In that role, she worked closely with U of M students to create the Wolverine Culture of Care, an initiative which aims to provide education on health-promoting behaviors and promote collective responsibility and positive social norms related to the coronavirus. Dr. Blake-Jones, welcome to the Strength in the Midst of the Change podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and your core responsibilities as the Dean of Students? Absolutely, and I'm thrilled to be here. As you said, my name is Laura Blake-Jones, she, her, and hers pronouns. And in my role as the Dean of Students, I oversee, of course, all of the programs and the services that are housed within the Dean of Students office, which include a wide variety of support programs and services from our critical incident response, which is individual working with students or groups of students who might be encountering an obstacle or a crisis in their life that could interfere with their ability to succeed as a student. I also oversee the work of a program called Beyond the Diag, which is support to our students living off campus, particularly a housing listing service, as well as monthly educational information about being a positive citizen in our community, connecting them to resources. Also oversee the campus climate support program, which is the follow-up on any climate concerns a student might experience, and the proactive work in that area called Expect Respect. Additionally, the Blavin Scholars Program, which is a program that supports students who have formerly been in foster care, our University of Michigan Debate Program and Institute, which is one of the top debate programs in the country, where we both teach the skills of debate in a high school camp in the summer and have a team that competes nationally, hopefully for a national championship sometime soon. And then I also oversee and have reporting to me the Office of Fraternity and Sorority Life, Student Legal Services, and then I serve in a liaison role to our central student government, so our student government, as well as have a liaison from the Department of Public Safety and Security that works through Dean of Students Office to ensure that there's alignment in the law enforcement work protecting and serving our campus community. So those are the services of the office in particular, but in addition to that, you know, I am responsible for shepherding the student experience, working with students, their parents, community members, and really being responsive to the emerging needs that come up, concerns that might come up in the community, and of course serve as a member of the Vice President for Student Life's cabinet and leadership team and end up doing a lot of delegated work for the Vice President in the area of students. So in a nutshell, that's the role, and I'm really happy to be here with you today as part of the podcast series. And what you just described is a very large, diverse set of responsibilities and all services for students. Through it, what do you see as the common element or thread through the work that keeps you engaged and that motivates you? Well, you know, certainly the common thread in my work is students. 
And I just feel so fortunately every day to work in a division that is very clear about our mission being students at the center and being part of such an extraordinary institution to be able to serve the students that come to Michigan. I work really closely with student leaders and have the opportunity to help mentor and support their leadership, which every year is one of the things I reflect on and note as one of the most rewarding aspects of my work. And then the colleagues, whether that is my colleagues directly in student life, colleagues across the campus, colleagues in the schools and colleges, when you work at Michigan and get to work with a team of such extraordinary people, you can't help but be inspired and pushed to continue to want to move things forward and be leaders at our best. Yeah. You know, when the pandemic hit, concern for students was clear through the, your establishment of the Wolverine Culture of Care. Could you describe a little bit about what the Wolverine Culture of Care is and what made you turn to that? Absolutely. You know, when the pandemic hit, we knew that we were going to have to function and work as a community in ways that we had not previously had to think about or be challenged. And so, again, coming from and operating from the place of students at the center, we reached out immediately to student leaders. Much of the work in student life is predicated upon a theory called collective impact. We know that when you're trying to work on large scale societal challenges or problems that you're trying to you know, chip away at and, and make a difference, that those are only feasible in terms of large scale change if you have a very strong coalition of individuals working together. And so you have to have common goals. You have to have an infrastructure that supports your work. You have to have mutually reinforcing activities that come from different directions and can really support sustained culture change. And so fortunately, that was a framework that existed in student life long before the pandemic. And it's also grounded in working alongside our student leaders to accomplish those goals. And so it was reflex for us, honestly, to turn to our student leadership to say, what do we need to put in place to live into being the type of community we're going to have to be to face a global pandemic? And so that group came together right after things settled with folks leaving in March and started working in April and worked all spring and summer long to first of all, create a pledge that exemplified what we were aspiring to achieve, you know, what our common goal was, the type of caring community we wanted to be at this time. And then we also worked to create the support structure that would have to be in place for accountability for achieving that goal. So we have a very strong statement of student rights and responsibilities. We had a housing contract in the residence halls that talked about community living at Michigan and the way we live together in community. And we had student organization accountability processes. And so we work, again, with the student leaders to craft addendums or modifications or term-limited clauses related to COVID in those documents to ensure that we didn't just have a pledge that was aspirational, but we had a specific way to follow up and hold members of our community accountable to the expectations. And so that was a big set of work that we did. And then the next phase of it was really thinking about how do we share the pledge, get people to buy into and embrace it and promote it in a way at such a large decentralized institution like Michigan so it would become you know, commonly understood? 
And so, again, with the support of wonderful colleagues in communications and public affairs and our own folks in Michigan Creative helping us create the graphic representation of the work and compelling creative approaches. We actually worked with faculty in the School of Public Health who were expert in normative messaging about community. And we learned from them that just like our messaging around other high-risk practices, like trying to curtail alcohol or other drug abuse, prevent sexual violence, that the normative messaging coming peer-to-peer and messaging sharing the common reasons we were coming together to be a caring culture. So the What's Your Reason campaign that's part of the Wolverine Culture of Care came out of that advice and engagement And so, you know, with that as kind of the foundation for the work, we've continued to evolve our messaging. The same faculty experts told us that we were going to have to be prepared to keep refreshing the message. We couldn't just have posters that went up at the beginning of the year and signage and other social media. We would have to, you know, continue to keep it current, keep it fresh, but keep, you know, grounding it back in the culture of care. So that is the work that we've been doing. Most recently, of course, we were challenged by a stay-in-place order and the coalescing activities of Halloween, a home a rivalry game against Michigan State, a full moon, and all of that on a Saturday <laughs> night. So we definitely had to amp up our messaging for that. And you know, now we're continuing to be responsive in terms of using the culture of care to ground our decision and the implementation of our decision about the upcoming winter semester. So, you know, the perspective on it changing over time is something we anticipate. And I anticipate if I was talking to you again in a few months, I would probably have, you know, chapters six and seven to the story of the Wolverine culture of care that I'll be adding at that point in time. Yeah, I think it's amazing that you took on this systemic large challenge of how do you get people to make decisions based on the effect it'll have on others. It's easy, especially in college years, to kind of not have that perspective, but you really made that a priority at the systemic level. You know, I'm finding with students and staff that I work with, that it's a little bit different than thinking about systemic change. How have you encouraged those that are working most closely with you to make sure that they take care of themselves through these stressful times? Yeah, you know, you bring up a really, really good point there because in this work, it is aspirational. And we've had to, you know, both set the standard of how we want to be as a caring community, but also understand that we're working against a lot of things. You know, we're working against a virus that is unknown. And there's so much that we learn week to week and month to month that shapes our approach. We also, You know, we're working with college students, as you said, at an aspirational level of setting aside what might be most fun for you to do right now, which might be, you know, to socialize and be with others and to defer that because of the pandemic and the situation that we're in and because of its potential impact, not just on yourself, but on other people. And even though most Michigan students have completely bought into this and have been wonderful about living the culture of care, 
we also know that students have made mistakes. They want to get together. We have to be even in our accountability practices with each other to be really caring and understanding. And that really ties to the question you just asked me, right? The staff that are doing this work, you know, it would be easy to be overwhelmed by the order of magnitude that it presents. It would be easy to be discouraged by sometimes the very public behavior or mistake that a relatively small group of students make and attribute that to everybody. You know, and there's just such attention and during this time of not always gathering all the facts before you jump to conclusions and make a judgment or deliver caustic feedback. And so, you know, it's been hard on staff, particularly staff who the center of their work and why they're doing what they're doing is because they want to serve students and assist them, not be, you know, in a situation where what they're doing is perceived as not supporting students. And so we've had to really be very mindful of that, continue to support our staff as they navigate through uncharted territories, remind each other of the importance of noticing and recognizing and thanking the folks that you're working alongside for the work that they're doing. And even when receiving what can be pretty caustic feedback, remind yourself that the folks delivering that feedback are living through a lot of stress and uncertainty themselves right now and probably aren't at their best when delivering the feedback either. And so, you know, keeping all of that in mind and really making sure that the teams that we're working with keep students at the center and then keep their colleagues and peers at the forefront of their support and positive relationships for each other has been something that I've seen really, really make a difference. And then every now and then that positive thing that comes in when someone says thank you or really appreciates, you know, a change you've made when something you had started out to do one way wasn't working well and you fixed it. Of course, that is definitely a welcomed occurrence that I've seen in the staff that I'm working with and the smiles on their faces that you can see in their eyes, even if they do have their mask on is a really, really important aspect of being in this work together. Yeah. What have you found to be successful approaches to creating a staff environment where self-care is the norm? Yeah. You know, the staff that I work with under normal circumstances work together in an environment where they see and interact with each other. They can notice that somebody's having a down day or needs a boost or can turn to someone directly in the office next door and be able to have that kind of collegial support. And now we're rotating folks in. And so most of our staff on any given day are working remotely from home. And so, you know, just figuring out how we can still be there for each other, but in a virtual situation and navigating through the dynamics of we're in an office and we're there if a student needs to see us in person, but we're all keeping our distance and closing our doors. You know, that doesn't feel natural to people, but working through this new way of working and finding ways to be a collaborative team just in a more creative fashion is something that I've seen people rise to the challenge of and do pretty well. And the other thing I've seen people doing is really just sharing of tips and strategies, right? So, you know, I have some staff that are working from home virtually. And of course, like many people, they've got school age children that are home and are maybe going to school a couple of days a week. So no days the same, but there's always a new challenge with supporting online learning or in-place learning. 
and you know the flexibility people have been able to give each other or I'll take that test this week because I know this is the week that your kids are home and not in school full time just that you know reciprocity has been you know a really positive thing And then I've watched people, you know, share strategies for how to find a pod of friends and monitoring the online school responsibilities, you know, other staff that are managing health conditions that would mean they absolutely wouldn't be in the rotation coming into the office in person at all, but they've happily picked up other things that can be done from home that might have been in someone else's portfolio to just even out the workload and be there for each other. So that's really been inspiring to see the creativity and just the commitment that people have shown day in and day out for each other. It sounds like a lot of the examples you just provided were much about kindness Right, providing yep. kindness to each other. Have you seen that increase through this very odd time in history? Absolutely. There's definitely been many, many examples of just the smallest kindness making all the difference in the world to someone. And I was talking with my student advisory board the other day about just giving grace to other people, not starting from the assumption that maybe because others have let you down that the next person will, right? Like just really, you know, starting each day fresh, giving people a chance and an opportunity, not starting out believing the worst, but hoping for the best and seeing where that can take us. And, you know, they were giving example after example to me of the little things that had made a difference. You know, even things that their faculty members had done in a virtual space in the classroom to still, you know, reach out to them. We were talking about the impact of the election at that point in time and just, you know, check in about that before class got started. So those small things of just showing that people recognize what a stressful time this has been, how much everybody is juggling and navigating through and trying to show that care and compassion for others. Yeah, now this one's a little bit tougher, which is related to kindness to ourselves, which I see self-care as a component of that. You've led a major body of work for years now, but a lot of new approaches had to be taken over the past, you know, eight or nine months You know, what have been your personal approaches to self-care and stress reduction? Well, you know, I find myself having done a lot of the things I was advising our students to do. And my advice was, you know, coming from a place of having needed to navigate and figure that out for myself as well. So, you know, rather than focusing on, you know, or lamenting that the fall wasn't going to be the fall any of us wanted to be, and being stuck on that, but finding the positives and what we could do and seeking out the relationships that I know sustain me, whether that's family members, friends, and this may sound odd, but you know, with everything that's been not normal, one of my greatest joys this fall was I have a son who's still in high school and two older sons, but the one in high school is a high school football player. And when their season got started and they could play, you know, a few games and it felt normal to just go to an activity and be outdoors and be socially distanced from folks. So it didn't feel totally normal, but just returning to doing something that felt really familiar was really inspiring. And I know when we get all the way through this and we look back on it, what I'm hoping is that we don't take all the things that for so long we've just taken for granted, you know, that 
that we can have a graduation party or that we can come together to celebrate in large groups or we can go about our daily lives unimpeded, that we really take from this experience, not taking any of that for granted any longer. And then, you know, I was really, really happy when the gyms opened back up, even under, you know, limited times and circumstances, because of course, the importance of physical activity and with the work life becoming sitting in front of a computer screen, sometimes 12 and 14 hours a day, not even walking across campus for the meeting that you're getting to, you know, can really get to you the Zoom fatigue. And so I'm trying to remind myself to take a break, to try to schedule my day in a way that at lunchtime I might get to go outside and walk around or, you know, just get away from nonstop meetings and have some even just downtime to do work even has been a challenge in this pandemic. So just trying to create a schedule and carve out time to do things that are really, really important. Yeah, when Mary Lou Rec Center opened, it's been our savings grace. My son loves to swim, and so he's been able to get back in the water and be his otter self. And my partner and I have just enjoyed being able to go and walk laps, even if it's just walking, just like we could do in our neighborhood, just walking and feel like we were in a space that we were used to going to beforehand, which is, you know, so much of that's been taken away. You know, when you said Jim, it really struck a chord. You know, we're almost through the fall term. What are your hopes for the rest of the academic year? Well, you know, I know this has been enormously challenging for everybody, and particularly, I think, for our first-year students who are making the transition to college, and they are the same group of students that had their senior years upended and didn't get to have a graduation party or a graduation ceremony, and now their first semester of college was probably nothing like they had ever dreamed of it being. So I'm hoping we can get back to a little more normalcy. You know, certainly the promise of potential vaccine being on the horizon is allowing many of us to start thinking about maybe next fall will be a whole lot more normal, although I'm sure our community is still going to be challenged and we'll probably still be wearing masks as we navigate through all of that. But I hope that all of us have gotten better about the virtual opportunities that we're offering and knowing how to seek them out and find them if you were a new student. But even if you're a returning student, you didn't usually look for connecting with a club or an organization online. You would physically go to a meeting. But I'm hoping people are going to have found these creative ways to find community and to be there for each other. And I also, you know, as I said earlier, I just hope that Everybody is kind of navigating through this and coming to a point where they can think definitely about what they need to do for themselves, but also what they can do for the people around them. And that is, I believe, how we're going to get through this. And I continue to remain really inspired by the student leaders that I've been working alongside, even if it's only on a computer screen these days, and the work that they're doing within their communities, the needs they're comfortable bringing forward. Because, you know, again, many of the needs that we've had to address this year are not the typical needs. And it's having the courage to step forward and say, I need some help, or I know someone else who needs some help. And here's what we could collectively do as a community. So back to the culture of care, I guess my hope for the next semester and the rest of this school year is that we can all continue to really focus on living the culture of care and being there for each other. Yeah, well, Laura, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise with me and those who are listening to this podcast. I greatly appreciate all the work that you've done on campus to keep us safe, 
to give new perspective and insight to students and you know making decisions all of that's been amazing work to watch from the sidelines so thank you for all of that and thank you for your time today absolutely and thank you for having me thank you for listening to CEW's podcast strength in the midst of change to learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi. 